0: We are in a sermon series entitled The Road uh, to the Cross. That road began last week uh, with the Garden of Gethsemane. And this Sunday we're going to look at uh, uh, the kiss of a friend, the betrayal of Judas. What strikes me about this passage is the steadfastness of, of Christ. His grittiness, his determination, his courage under fire. And his demeanor here, calm and cool as his betrayer comes, is in contrast to uh, our perception of the Lord in the garden. Last week we looked at this story and the gospel writers are unashamed and uh, uh, very clear that Jesus uh, was suffering in the garden. He uh, sweat like drops of blood. Uh, He was... In turmoil, he fell and fell again. He called out for his friends who, of course, were not there. But here, uh, it's a a different side. Jesus emerges from the garden with a sense of determination and a resolution. So he moves from wrestling in the garden to resolution. And that resolution will remain uh, throughout the narrative. It's striking. That's what caught my eye as I studied this passage, the resolution of Christ. And I think resolution, grit, perseverance, determination, and whatever word, other words would be in that, uh, that word bubble, uh, those are important words, aren't they? It seems to me that grit and perseverance are enjoying a little bit of a, uh, a popularity boom. Uh, you may find books uh, in leadership about grit. You'll find uh, parenting books, one entitled The Blessing of a Skinned Knee, uh, which puts a caution on the so-called helicopter parenting that would protect little Johnny from any bump or bruise. So The Blessing of a Skinned Knee highlights the need for perseverance and uh, letting little Johnny get a, a bump or a bruise or two. So grit is having a little bit of a stock is on the rise. Yet I also think there's plenty of evidence to suggest that we'd much rather read books about perseverance than actually put it into practice. You think of the uh, college scandal of these past week and the phenomenal amount of money that parents spent to keep their children from encountering a skinned knee and our reaction is to shake our head and just, dis- how could they? But you know how. I know how. You know e- how easily you could justify Decisions like that because we all want to protect the people we love when we want to protect ourselves from the blessing or from, from a skinned knee, from a rejection, from a broken heart. What parent doesn't want to protect? Who doesn't want to protect ourselves from that? So we can very well resonate with how some really bad decisions like those college decisions, those parents, how they made those decisions. We all want to protect those whom we love. Save them from the skinned knees. But we know that's not possible. We know that tenacity and perseverance are absolutely essential parts. Put faith, Christian faith aside. If you want to do anything that's remotely productive in life, if you want to have even a a modest impact in the world, then you're going to need some grit and some perseverance. Grit and perseverance are doubly necessary for the Christian life. Uh, the late Eugene Peterson, who wrote The Message, um, he, described, he wrote a book in which he captured the Christian faith, and he said the Christian faith is just one long obedience in the same direction. One long obedience in the same direction, and that requires a lot of just stick right? So perseverance... We need it. We need it for for life period. We need it for the Christian faith especially. And we also should want it because Jesus has it. I was trying to think of a more sophisticated word to describe what I see in the Lord in these couple of chapters, but the best I could come up with is he is just tough. Tough as nails. And as followers of Christ, we should want to be like him. So three reasons why... Steadfastness and perseverance are something that you and I should pursue. Life demands it. Christian faith requires it. And Jesus modeled it. And I want to look at the story, both the garden story and the resolution that comes out of the garden that we see in his betrayal. And I want to ask two more additional questions. We thought a little bit about the question why. I want to think about the question how. How? how can we how was, did jesus become gritty how did he persevere how can we do the same and then i want to ask the question of what what are its fruits what are the fruits of perseverance so why which we already touched already touched on how and then what so how did jesus be christ become so tough let's start there well you may think he was the son of god that helps and yes it does But I think if we look at the passage, we can determine a few things about his life that are a little bit more attainable for you and me. So let's look at him and let's see what we can learn from him. Let's see what we can learn from his journey from the garden to grit, from wrestling to resolution. So let's think about that garden scene one more time. All the gospel writers are very clear that Christ was in turmoil fell, fell again, sweat like drops of blood as I I already mentioned. Why? What was the source of his turmoil? Was he just uh, in anguish because of the anticipation of physical pain? Now the cross was excruciating. We get that word excruciating because the cross is right in the middle. Certainly the physical pain was substantial, but you probably know of many martyrs and many people who have gone and uh, endured physical suffering without, a bad, uh, not without blinking an eye. Well, why was Jesus in such turmoil? It's likely not the physical, the anticipation of the physical pain, but likely the anticipation of the spiritual pain. On the cross, Jesus bore the sins of the world. He bore a punishment, not his own. And the, 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 the results of bearing the sins of the world in his body were separation from God. He who had known God had been one with God. The, father's son, the son of the father was about to be cast out into darkness, into, well, hell. One writer says this, the dreadful sorrow and anxiety then and there in the garden is not shrinking from the prospect of physical suffering. No, it is rather the horror of one who lives wholly for the Father at the prospect of alienation from God, which is entailed in the judgment upon sin which Jesus assumes. Now, there's a lot of words in that, big words in that little sentence, but the author is saying exactly what I just explained. He's going to bear the penalty of sin and he will be cast out from his Father's presence. Jesus in the garden came to be with his Father before his betrayal, but hell, rather than heaven, opened before him and he staggered. See, it was the the anticipation not of the physical pain, but of the spiritual pain that made the Lord stagger and sweat and call out to his friends. He had a taste, just a taste of what was to come. The agony in the garden represents his first taste of the separation and it's important for the substance of our faith because we don't believe that Jesus was an accidental victim. You know, Jesus is described as the lamb who was slain. And we believe that that is accurate. He was the lamb who was slain, but unlike a lamb, he was fully aware. His eyes were wide open to reality. He went in knowingly, he went in willingly, his eyes were open. He laid down his life. He endured hell willingly, knowingly. And his grasp of reality, the reality to come, is a testimony to his obedience to the Father and his love for you and me. So the first principle we can learn about perseverance is your eyes have to be wide open to reality. Jesus knew it was coming. I wonder how good you are at keeping your eyes open to reality. You probably think, well, of course, I do that, my eyes are open, can't you see? Uh, I think all of us have a, uh, a propensity to blink at reality a little bit. So I wonder if I'm the only one that does this when occasionally you'll get a credit card bill and you know that there's been a little less discipline in your household than should have been over the month. And so you just get that bill and you think, I'm just gonna put that thing over there. And you let that bill sit there for a little while and as if by ignoring it, it would somehow just magically uh, disappear. Sometimes I wonder if our perception, we allow our perception of reality to be clouded by uh, sloppy spirituality. What I mean is this, one of my first uh, and most challenging pastoral responsibilities was actually right down here on King Street. I was a curate at the Falls Church, and a person under my care was a a lady very, very sick. So every week I would make the journey from Falls Church to uh, this treatment center right here. And the doctors told her she was very sick, and all evidence pointed to the fact that she was very, very sick. And uh, she was just convinced that the Lord was going to heal her. I, I don't know what to say in those moments. You probably don't either. But her lack of reckoning with reality did not allow some of those conversations which needed to happen. Some of those closures that needed to occur just didn't occur because there was not a real grasp of reality. I think Christians, we have to have our eyes wide open to reality. Someone consider this definition of health. A definition of health is the distance between the realization of a problem and the confrontation of that problem. The realization of that problem and then the confrontation of it. Because what you and I do in that space between those two things is something that Jesus didn't do. And that is just pretend it will go away. And it just doesn't. And I bet most of us don't have to think very hard before we can identify some bill on the mantelpiece that needs to be open and reckoned with. Some conversation that we need to have. Some problem that we know and probably others know, but we're just wish it would go away. I think the first thing we learn about grit and perseverance from Christ is that he was eyes wide open. The second thing we learn about grit and perseverance from Christ is that his ears were wide open to God's word. Look at what he said when he was confronted uh, by his betrayer, his arresters came and laid hands on him. First of all, he rebukes them and then he says to them, this must be done in, orders that the, in order that the scriptures must are, are fulfilled. Somehow he reconciled his reality, his unpleasant reality with God's word and was convinced that what was unfolding in front of him, he was in the center of God's will. The psalm we read, Psalm 55, tells of a betrayer, someone who was my friend, someone who was my brother who stabbed me. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, the psalmist says. It's maybe it's possible that Jesus in the garden thought of that psalm and thought of his betrayer and thought, oh, the scriptures are coming alive and coming to be true in my life. He reconciled God's Word with his reality and came away convinced that he was in the center of God's will. You know, it's funny the sermons you remember over the years. I had a, a one sermon I remember from about 18 years ago. It's from a gentleman named Kendall Harman. I remember that name, uh, the sermon, partly because of the name, Kendall Harman. 18 years ago, we were speaking to many clergy who had lost their. Churches lost their livelihood, and Kendall Harmon gave a five-minute sermon. His text was Jesus walking on the water. You know the story. There's a storm. The disciples are in a boat. Uh, Jesus comes to them. Peter walks. You know how it goes. The first reaction of the disciples is that they were afraid. They thought they had seen a ghost. And Kendall's five-minute sermon was this. Sometimes God is behind, hidden behind those things that we're afraid of. And he sat down. And there was a lot of things that those congregation was afraid of at that moment. Don't avoid the garden moments. Don't pretend they don't exist. Don't over-spiritualize the garden moments and pray and pretend that they're not real because God speaks in the garden moments. Don't walk away from the garden. Open your ears in the garden moments because God speaks loudly and clearly in the garden moments and if you never enter the garden moments you will never hear so that's the second thing we learn. We learn that Jesus reconciled his reality with God's word. And having done so, he moved forward with certainty that he was in the center of God's will. And that leads us to the what, to the fruit. What are the results of this We see them played out in the rest of the passage. We see the fruits of his steadfastness. From this point forward, from the betrayal forward, Jesus moves forward with such a calm confidence and control that is inspiring. Now in the garden he wrestled, from this point forward resolute. He is in control. His captors come to him, and Jesus rebukes the captors. He is in control. He's confident. Next week, we'll look at a trial. The court cannot convict Jesus, so Jesus will convict himself. He is in control. We'll see the same thing with Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Jesus convicts himself in front of Pontius Pilate. Jesus is in control. There are two words that you will search for in vain in the Bible, and those two words are that Jesus died. Did you know that those two words are never found? The gospel writers avoid them. They say things like, He gave up his spirit. He gave up the ghost. Why? Because the gospel writers are communicating to us that even at the very end, Death laid no claim on him. He gave himself up, even at the very end. Jesus could have escaped in the garden. He could have come down from the cross as the mockers challenged him to do so. But he did not. Of his own free will and his own deliberate choice, he gave himself up. His steadfastness, his perseverance, endured even to the very, very end. And this supremely attractive quality can be true for you and me, at least in part. This confidence of moving forward even through the garden comes when we open our ears to God's word and move forward that we are convinced that we are in the center of God's will. The Apostle Paul writes, We are afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair. And that's a wonderful sentiment and true for you and for me. You all face plenty of afflictions, but those who trust in and follow Christ are never crushed. We all encounter things that perplex us, but those who trust in and follow Jesus are never driven to despair. I imagine that each of us this week will have some garden moment just something you wish would go away. A conversation, a letter you need to open, some decision you need to make. Open your eyes. Open your eyes to the reality that's confronting you. Jesus' eyes were wide open. And open your ears to God's word. Jesus' ears were wide open to God's word, allow God to speak to you in your garden moment. Then Jesus reconciled his reality to God's word and as he did, he moved forward with gritty certainty that he was in the center of God's will. And the same can be true for you, at least in part. Grit, steadfastness, determination is the result of walking through those garden moments guided by God's word in the center of God's will.